Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord, the Lutheran confessions that have stood the test of time, faithfully confessing what Scripture teaches and invites us to believe and confess ourselves. And we have the wonderful... That wasn't a C word. That wasn't a, I was ah, going to say, I'm wait. So out of practice. We, we have the... Well, we'll just... The cohort of Christ cheerful. confessing, cheerful. That's the yeah. word I wanted. Cheerful cohort of yeah. Christ confessing cheerful compatriots and companions of and stuff. Christ confessing Concordians. Absolutely, we have layman Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. There's nothing cheerful about that. Yeah, it's very <laughs> cheerful. We're here today to talk about Jesus. That makes me cheerful. Okay, mm, great. Save Carry it. on with the introductions. And that was the illustrious pastor. Peter Ill, nice. who serves Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois. We also have with us Pastor Timothy Apple, who is the bishop down there in Smithville, Texas. I believe it's Grace Lutheran Church. Is that correct? I always forget. I should I should look at these things. All right. I think we have Pastor Apple with us. Is he with us? I'm I didn't hear. Still here. I okay. You. There you go. All right. He's I didn't just hear quiet you. today. Sorry. Right. We're working out all the kinks live on radio here. This is great radio quality. Here well, at least we're on the radio now because when this music started, we were all on our phones, yep. making sure we updated Facebook to yeah. tell Facebook what we were yes. doing. Well, we like the, the input there, and you know, uh, we get listeners through that as well. So, anyway, I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and I serve a dual parish in Southern Illinois, Emmanuel West Point, and St. Paul's and Winehill. Keep in mind that St. Paul's name—that's going to come up a little yeah, bit later we're today. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, so that's a that's a smooth transition into what we're talking about today. As I said, we read through the Book of Concord here so that we may be of the one mind with Christ and confess His truth. And we have been working our way through the small called articles in the Book of Concord. And we have been in Article 2, Part 2, I should say that, Part 2, Article 2 of the Small Column Articles. And uh, that that Article 2 is on the Mass. And then we are going to begin today with this section kind of right at the end, uh, dealing with the invocation of saints. And I'm going to throw it to Pastor Apple here. Give us a, a little brief background. What's What's... What's at issue here in this article with the Mass and then transitioning us uh, uh, into the invocation of saints here? How does this play into it? So the whole second part is is begun with the title, the articles that refer to the office and work of Jesus Christ, that is our redemption. And so in the, the first article, uh, Luther laid out the chief article, that is that Christ has won our salvation. We receive it by his grace through his gift of faith. This is apart from anything that we do. And and now here in Article 2, he's begun to lay out the abuses against that chief article. And it starts with the Mass, um, the Mass being all of the ceremonies surrounding the sacrament that have, that have clouded the true nature of 
the gift of Christ's body and blood as a gift, as, as pure gospel, and instead have have made it into um, something that the people are doing uh, to earn merit from God. Rather than him giving, it becomes our doing. And so the, the mass becomes the, the chief abuse um, against that chief article. And within that, then, Luther begins to draw various abuses that are also connected to that um, abuse that's there in the Mass. And he's he's listed those in the, the preceding paragraphs, and today he comes to the last one he's going to talk about here, which is the, the invocation of saints. That is well set up. Thank you for that. And I especially like your highlighting of the, the abuses that have come into the Mass. That's really what's at stake here is the abuses. And, and as we well know, anytime, you know, when, when folks uh, look at the uh, Lutherans conducting the liturgy as the church has, um, they'll say things like, oh, that's very Catholic and things like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. We didn't get rid of the mass or the order of the liturgy mm-hmm. or, or any of those sorts of things, but there, there is the prone, um, uh, or, or the nature of being prone to uh, have abuses come into it. And so uh, we were very careful to uh, highlight what those abuses were and, and to eliminate those so that they not detract from Christ. That was that was wonderfully set up. Thank you for that, Pastor Apple. We're going to go ahead and dig into then this uh, final abuse that is highlighted um, on the invocation of saints. And here, just definition of terms, uh, uh, we, we actually had this... Um, section not too long ago as we went through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and it was at issue there too, and and this shows the continuity of the Lutheran Confession from Scripture that, you know, these Mm -hmm. these are the concerns here. And uh, so a reminder that invocation literally just means to call upon, or or really to call down in a sense is is the more uh, actual thrust of it, but uh, uh, you can also, uh, you know, use there to pray or intercede uh, for and so forth, and so that's that's kind of what we're talking about here with the invocation of saints. So I'm just going to go ahead and read this whole section here, taking us to the end of this article, and then we're going to spend the whole time talking about this and how it impacts our faith. So uh, beginning with uh, part two, article two of the Small Call Articles, uh, paragraph 25, the invocation of saints. The invocation of saints is also one of the Antichrist's abuses that conflicts with the chief article, and destroys the knowledge of Christ, as it says in Philippians 3.8. It is neither commanded nor counseled, nor has it any warrant in Scripture. Even if it were a precious thing, which it is not, we have everything a thousand times better in Christ. The angels in heaven pray for us, as does Christ himself. Romans 8.34 is cited. So do the saints on earth, and perhaps also in heaven, citing Revelation 6, 9-10. It does not follow, though, that we should invoke and adore the angels and saints, citing Revelation 22, 8-9. Nor should we fast, hold festivals, celebrate mass, make offerings, and establish churches, altars, and divine worship in their honor. Nor should we serve them in other ways or regard them as helpers in times of need. Nor should we divide different kinds of help among them, ascribing to each one a particular form of assistance, as the papists teach and do. This is idolatry. Such honor belongs to God alone. As a Christian and saint upon earth, you can pray for me in many necessities. But this does not mean that I have to adore and call upon you. I do not need to celebrate festivals, fast, make sacrifices, or hold masses for your honor. I do not have to put my faith in you for my salvation. I can honor, love, and thank you in Christ in other ways. If such idolatrous honor were withdrawn from angels and departed saints, the remaining honor would be harmless and quickly forgotten. When advantage and assistance, both bodily and spiritual, are no longer expected, the saints will not be troubled, neither in their graves nor in heaven. 
Not one will much remember or esteem or honor them without a reward or just out of pure love. In short, we cannot tolerate the Mass or anything that proceeds from it or is attached to it. We have to condemn the Mass in order to keep the Holy Sacrament pure and certain, according to Christ's institution, used and received through faith. Now, there's certainly plenty to dig into there, possibly even more than a show's worth, but uh, <laughs> we're going to spend the remainder of this show just digging into this issue. So uh, let, let's just go ahead and jump right in right there at the beginning. It talks about the invocation of saints and the Antichrist abuses. All right, uh, we we might want to say something about the Antichrist here. Uh, that's that's uh, fighting words, p- perhaps. But uh, Layman Slate, well, go ahead and take us yeah, away. I've got a I've got a bookend comment I want to start us with because there are some really strong statements that Luther makes here that seem to be very direct, as if you can just take that statement and it applies to every instance of this thing forever. And we need to be careful to note that that's not how Luther is writing. And as an example, I'm going to take this last paragraph and the very first sentence of this article and put them together to help give us some clarity of what Luther is actually doing here as we talk. So here, we I mean, he starts off this paragraph saying, in short, we cannot tolerate the mass or anything that proceeds from it or is attached to it. I read that and I think, ah, Anytime I see the words the Mass or might be tempted to use them in my own life or in my own worship or refer to church as the Mass, Luther here is saying, throw it out, throw it all out. But if we read the very first sentence of what Luther said in this article, the Mass in the papacy has to be the greatest and most horrible abomination. And that's what we need to keep in mind. He is specifically addressing the abuses in the papacy. Because we do have the Augsburg Confession, which says we do not abolish the Mass. We're, we're comfortable saying Mass and using that, that terminology. And it would seem that Luther is contradicting the Augsburg Confession and then the Apology and other writings, but he's not actually doing that. So it's kind of like his last paragraph is a little bit of shorthand where he's removed that clause in the papacy. And we need to be very careful as we're reading through to remember He's addressing abuses, and what we're trying to throw out is the abuses, not everything. So wait, are you saying context matters? No, I would never say that. Oh, okay. Yes, very yeah. much. I yeah. mean, that's the entire point of this is he's, he's speaking in a particular context to particular things, and we need to keep that in mind because the, I think I mentioned this maybe as we started the Small Called Articles. It's a, it's a wonderfully quotable document. And it's extremely easy to take those quotes out of context and try to apply them to situations to which they do not apply. Um, and so this last paragraph, hey, let's just take this this first sentence of the last paragraph and tweet that out there. It's like, okay, wait, wait. What are, what are we actually saying? And and I've actually seen that line uh-huh. quoted in in support of getting rid of the traditional liturgical forms and things yeah. of that nature. And I, I think Luther we, says we, to do yeah, it in the small called yeah. articles. Boom. Yeah, and, and and it's it's just poor scholarship to do that. <laughs> uh, and so that's a very very helpful contextual point, and and also even just contextual to the issues at the time as mm-hmm. well uh, is what he's addressing. Yeah. Now, the invocation of saints, as we're going to continue to talk about this issue here today, I'm sure we'll get into, it's still with it's, us. Oh, it's, it's still a very around, contemporary and issue. We'll, and we'll yep. get into that. But but uh, bringing the context of what he's writing here, very great point. Thank you very much for that. And also the context of the time, you know, yeah. is kind of working behind this, and we, we address that many times. Pastor Hill. In this world where context matters, we reach a point where we say, this is included in the 
conversation about the Mass or the liturgy of the Lord's Supper because uh, in the Roman Catholic Eucharistic prayer, especially in uh, the, the medieval and Renaissance times, it was common to pray as, as you were asking for God's blessings at the giving of the Lord's Supper. The saints were invoked um, along with you uh, as as present in the church, and you asked the saints to give you uh, things and to grant you their presence and their blessings. Uh, and so within its narrow context, this is located in the... Uh, in the article on the Mass, because saints were commonly, publicly, and corporately brought up, uh, brought into the Mass. Mm-hmm. However, we also see a lot of this, uh, both historically and in our contemporary Christian culture uh, from time to time, as people will individually or corporately pray, uh, say to, to Mary, the mother of Jesus, or they will pray to, um, to certain patron saints, uh, be it St. Christopher or St. Michael or St. Jude, or uh, take your pick on some of these. But folks will privately invoke saints as well for their blessings. Uh, and we have, I'm well, sure, a whole lot more to say about that. L- Luther himself did it, right? He did. That, Saint Anne. Kind of, yeah. yeah, that's that's how, go ahead and tell that story. Well, Saint. yeah, and this, I find this, this is a fascinating story, especially growing up as an evangelical, hearing uh, this story told from an evangelical perspective. It, it often gets kind of glossed over, and they say that Luther cried out to God because of the extreme discomfort rightfully so, with call, calling out to saints. But when you're trying to sanitize Luther for an evangelical audience, that's one of the things that kind of goes away. But this was Luther's conversion experience. And I say that intentionally because it's often used like that in evangelical circles, that here's where Luther converted, kind of. Um, but the, the story goes, uh, the account goes, as he was traveling, he encountered a really bad storm and it scared him to death he thought he was going to die and in the midst of his terror he cries out to saint anne who was his patron saint i don't remember exactly why she was chosen i don't know that particular detail but that was his patron saint he cried out to her and said if you save me i will become a monk and he didn't die and he kept his vow and became a monk but we when that story is recounted we generally recounted as he he cried out to God and God saved him. It's like, no, actually, he cried out to a saint. This this is a little awkward here. With the- <laughs> that's an interesting point. I guess I I wasn't aware that American evangelicalism or evangelicalism. Uh, I watched as, a video a two weeks ago on yeah. YouTube where they completely changed it and said he cried yeah. out to God. I, and yeah. I wasn't aware that uh, they they even re- reference it as his conversion experience, mm-hmm. which plays into their theology that yeah. even though he was baptized and raised in the church and sure had had not come to the full realization of the gospel yet, he was a redeemed child of God. God through the waters of baptism. So we would have theological differences right. there, but it makes sense why they would make that point. Um, and, and then yet also it, it just, it's interesting that you bring that up, even in what we were talking about in terms of context, where you could point to the context of the situation and say, well, see this, this was Luther at the very beginning, not really fully understanding things and having yeah. much growth. And, and you can show, you know, here now where where he can even look back in repentance in his own life and say, yeah, I was the foolish one who should have been <laughs> calling out to Christ for right. fear of my life. The, the right? best we can say is that this is God using sinners in spite of themselves. I mean, if we want to talk about 
God and his providence working Luther into the position he wanted him in. It's like, okay, this is in spite of Luther's false doctrine, in spite of his idolatry and calling out to St. Anne instead of Christ for his salvation, in spite of all of the sin that did it. Look, God is so powerful, he used that anyways. It didn't make a difference to him because he's God. And brings That's about, how God works. Brings about <laughs> repentance, and, yeah. and we can examine our own lives and not beat ourselves up about yeah. our former ignorance. And well, at the same time, just, not going back be, and saying, "Hey, look, it worked. We should call it to Saint Anne." It's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. But, wrong point. <laughs> we yeah. don't want to get that from this. That's an interesting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. For those who are listening, who. Uh, are familiar with the Roman Catholic Church or may have at one time been part of the Roman Catholic Church, may still be part of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the You might be wanting to correct us a little bit. And I think, Ooh, yeah, and I think that might be I'm okay a, a with bit that. in order yeah. uh, with this because... It, Oftentimes when, when I get to speak with Roman Catholics about uh, the invocation of the saints, uh, I hear a lot of people, uh, including Lutheran people, say, well, Roman Catholics pray to the saints. And I've, I've heard a lot of Roman Catholics respond very quickly, wait, 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 you, you don't quite understand what we're intending to do. The intent of the invocation of the saints is asking the saints to pray to Christ on our behalf. With that said, that still is not something that is commanded or authorized in Scripture. It's still not something that that uh, we advocate or recommend or encourage. In fact, we say, no, pray directly to Jesus Christ, our God and our Lord, but as we do that, we also recognize the faith that God has granted to the saints who've gone before us. And so prayer through the saints is perhaps a uh, a way that, that protects the reputation of our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ. Not that that says we should pray that way. Uh, th- that's a good point. However, I- I'm going to push back on it a little oh, good. bit. And I've okay. done this with, <laughs> with Roman Catholics, and I think they can rightly push back on some things that, that maybe we distort at times, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not aware what those are because we do everything perfectly. But in this case, um, this is what I would That's say. That's why it's called a blind spot. They, they, yeah. yeah. They yeah. make that point. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. They absolutely make that point. However, in practice, what comes about is that they actually pray to the saints. And here I'll cite the Luther story himself. He cries out to St. Anne, St. Anne, save me. Mm-hmm. It's recorded in his own words what he said, yep. right? And then I would also make the point, and I used to work in a Catholic hospital chain in Austin, Texas, and uh, um, I, a lot of good priests there were my friends and so forth, and they would make the same point to me and everything. And, and then I would point out in practice what you see. And again, I saw it on a regular basis with Catholics in the hospital and so forth, especially as I was in the trauma department and so forth. So a lot of, you know, a lot of fear and a lot of trepidation was going on. And they would actually call out to the saints. And that's what Luther is actually directing his word that here too. Is, is that I don't even care if you say we're, we're, we're asking them to pray for us. And he makes that point here. And we'll dig into that here in a second. But in practice, what comes out is what happens. Where do you put your trust? You put it in a saint. You know, you kind of default to it. You actually use those words and not in Christ 
himself. And that, that then transitions into his use of the word antichrist here. And here we've been talking over Pastor Apple, who is just a wonderful pastor and has a lot of great things to say as well. So so let's bring you in. Go ahead and address this he antichrist He just needs to start issue. interrupting us. Yeah. Well, actually, I was about to interrupt you before Excellent. you interrupted my interruption. Thank you. <laughs> so, no, but I think the reason that in, in practice that's what happens is that you end up praying to the saints uh, rather than as as you know the the more pious attempted understanding is that you ask the saints to pray for you I, I think the way that 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 happens is because there is no actual word of God that this practice is based on, which is what the that's the point that Luther makes here is that it's not commanded that we would ask the saints to pray for us and because there's no word of God that it's based upon, then it really can't be a prayer that's offered in faith. Faith has to be founded upon God's word. I mean, that's what makes the Lord's Prayer such a precious one, is that these are the words of Christ himself that he's given us to pray, so that at the end of the prayer, we can say amen, knowing that it is certain, because these are Christ's own words. But by the end of a, a prayer, you know, or, or an, a request for a saint to pray for you, you can't say amen at the end of that, because you don't know for certain that God wants you to do that, because he hasn't told you to do it. And so what ends up happening is it, is it becomes a, a warped sort of faith where the, the saint does then become the mediator rather than letting Christ be the mediator as God intends. Yeah, and, and, and here this connects into this issue. I still want to hit this Antichrist issue a little bit. We can't be dancing around, but <laughs> I was we'll wondering if this we'll is the first time he mentions it, because, ooh, yeah. That's in big. the small called articles, I yeah. believe, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the angels in heaven, this is paragraph 26, the angels in heaven pray for us, as does Christ himself, citing Romans eight thirty four. So do the saints on earth, and perhaps, I just did this this morning, I, I uh, visited a parishioner in the hospital, and he asked me to pray for him, and I did, right? And so mm -hmm. clearly this, this goes on. Right. Uh, and, and perhaps he's very careful here. He's very, very careful. He says, perhaps also in heaven. And he, and he cites Revelation 6 yeah. there, 9 through 10. I, I right? like that little caveat of, well, maybe. Well, and, and, and what what is that prayer on in heaven there in Revelation 6? Right. How long, O oh Lord? Is that yeah. the how long, O oh Lord, yeah. before you... They're, they're praying for the Christian martyrs yeah. and the return of Christ, which is yep. a worthy prayer that how connects long in you with, wait? Yeah. as Pastor Apple rightly took us to that simple catechetical teaching, the Lord's Prayer, right? This is the words that Lord, our Lord has given to us. And, and why is that such a worthy, beautiful prayer in heaven? Uh, well, because that is prayer in, prayer in accordance with what he gives us in his own, mm -hmm. this is the way to pray, right? And so, uh, yeah, this, 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 is a, this is a fascinating point here where, uh, you know, yeah, we can pray for one another and, and perhaps they are praying for us. And, and, and in one sense, yeah, we can even say, they are praying for the church in as a part of the church, church triumphant there in heaven. But what is the nature of that prayer? And, and as it for individual circumstances and things of that nature, uh, we don't have anything certain there. So let's go to what is certain Christ's own words and put our trust there. Right. Uh, and I think it's a fascinating then connect, connection into what he makes later. Um, and he says, you know, a Christian and saint upon the earth, you can pray for in necessities. Uh, but this does not mean that I have to adore and call upon you. I mean, should my parishioner that I prayed for this morning in the hospital, you know, set up a, you know, uh, a day of worship, you know, uh, focusing on the greatness of Pastor Sean, who prayed for him in the hospital. Oh, please no! Yeah, <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be scary? Oh man, right? seriously, that but, would be like, okay, what just happened? 
That's, yeah. I think you'd be freaked out by that, too. Yeah. I, I, I was like, <laughs> no, no, no. You, you're missing the point. Uh-huh. Christ. Let's get to yeah. Christ here. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this, one of the difficulties with with the saints, and I think the reason why this is tempting to us to to invoke the saints and to, to pr- have them pray for us on our behalf, because I think we need to be clear that this is actually a temptation that people have. Um, that this isn't something for which, well, I am fully immune. There, there is no way I would ever do this because the idea is that, well, these people have died. They are now with Christ. They're standing right next to God. Why can't I just speak to them? And they're now, I mean, maybe part of my theology is they're perfect. You know, they've been glorified and well, I, yeah, they're closer to God. So their prayers should be more effective than mine because they're right there with him. And so, Already you can see the, the the twisting of the theology that happens there, but you can also see understand the temptation that would come because we always we, we always want to find a way to make our prayers more powerful, our prayers more effective, uh, because we're always seeking to manipulate God to our will. And I think that's worth bringing in here is, you know, this invocation of the saints tends to be in that theology of glory where I'm making God do what I want him to do for my own sake. And we are all tempted to pray in that way. And the invocation of the saints oftentimes is simply one manifestation of that very real temptation that we all have. And, and I think you make an excellent point. And, and I, I'll, I'll just simply cite, you know, as we referenced earlier, we still see this in the Roman Catholic Church. I was just walking, watching a documentary on, you know, the war in Iraq and so forth. It was a documentary about one of the units over there. And they, they specifically had one of the guys in there who was a Roman Catholic that was talking about all the saints. And he had the little figurines there in his locker mm-hmm. and so forth uh, overseas and so forth and, and how he you know, would invoke them, you know, for blessing mm-hmm. in battle and as he serves overseas and so forth. And so, I mean, this notion is still there. But I think, you know, for for our Lutheran audience uh, predominantly and for American evangelical influence in general, mm. we probably don't invoke the saints uh, in heaven. All right. We, we, we rightly know to stay away from there. But I think we play into the same mindset that you just brought up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and here maybe even cite James chapter five. Right. Which says the prayer, prayer of a of righteous, righteous person. Yeah. Right? Avail of Avails much. Yeah. Right. And so uh, I'm just going to leave us with this thought as we got to go to break here. But but, you know, how how do we maybe in a contemporary situation, we'll still hit this Antichrist thing when we come back to it. I promise. <laughs> we're going how, how we, to start with when we come back from break. How do we in a contemporary setting Still, uh, still have this temptation within us that you just highlighted there for us. Uh, we're going to go to break. Please come right on back. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio. 
your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for You, anytime, anywhere. I'm Gary Duncan, the general manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. deeply connected with the Statue of Liberty from Emma Lazarus' poem, The New Colossus. And did you know, April 17th is celebrated as a day in 1907 when more immigrants were processed through Ellis Island than any other day in its history, 11,747 people. As early as the 1880s, Lazarus was speaking out against anti-Semitism in Europe advocating for Jewish refugees coming to the United States with many of her most passionate poems inspired by the Hebrew Bible. In the Banner of the Jew, she writes, With Moses' law and David's lyre, your ancient strength remains unbent. Let but an Ezra rise anew to lift the banner of the Jew. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. And welcome back to Concord Matters with our cheerful cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Peter Lill, Pastor Timothy Apple, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. And we're going to continue our discussion, our very lively, cheerful discussion of uh, Article 2. Or Nope, so I already messed it up. Small called Articles, Part 2, <laughs> Article 2 of the Mass. At the end, a subtitle, The Invocation of Saints. Uh, that's so very Lutheran. The, <laughs> the Book of Concord B. is much like Ogres and Onions. Yeah. Uh, or Synod work, Convention. Or Synod Convention. We work in layers. I, right. I like a parfait. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, a lot going on here. Cakes but uh, I think I think we've had a, a, an interesting discussion here uh, about the invocation of saints. And, and, and right before the break, I, I you know we, we'll, we'll get to this antichrist thing. Keep listening. All right, because we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. If all else fails, it's gonna come up at the end of the small cult articles when we talk about the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. Yeah. So we're gonna get there, which is its own document. Hopefully, Does it cover that in Concord Matters yet. Not yet. No. Ooh. Small cult articles okay. in the treatise. That's uh, the why you said at the end. Yeah, that's, yep. Okay. 
Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so then, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hit this thing. And, and that can, I mean, there, there was a, a U.S. senator, right, who very famously left the Lutheran Church uh, over this, you know, someone showed her that, mm-hmm. you know, hey, uh, you know, do you know that uh, so they you're a Lutheran. Have that, you seen this? The Antichrist, right? And the Pope is the papacy, <laughs> the office of the papacy is the Antichrist. So we'll, we'll talk about all that. But we do <clears> have the, a reference to the Antichrist here uh, in we reference do. to the papacy of yes. the Mass, right? Uh, so we got to talk about this, but we'll, we'll, you know, because it can be very scandalous for folks. Um, but uh, we, Layman Slayton, as he often does, brought up an interesting <laughs> point, um, very cheerfully so, uh, right before the break of, uh, you know, this temptation that we have to invoke the saints, right? Um, and, and, and I gave the, the thought before break that I wanted us to ponder and think about how does this apply in a contemporary situation, I brought up James chapter five, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much, right? Uh, uh, we, we, I think we still have this temptation, but not necessarily calling out to the saints in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you want to hit this? Line sure. This so let, let me use one of the ways that I would see the saints being invoked first uh, as the example. So you, you have, is, is St. Christopher the patron saint of lost things? Is that him? Yes. Okay. That's that's like the only one I know. So you've lost something. And the way this works um, is it, you, you would pray to St. Christopher to help you find this thing. And if you then find it, well, then St. Christopher, maybe you wouldn't say he's answered your prayer, but he's helped your prayer get to God in such a way that your prayer has been answered and you've now found this thing. The entire theology driving that is is different than what, when Scripture says, cast all your cares on Christ, when God tells us, bring all your concerns to me. So we are to pray for lost things if they concern us. We are to bring that prayer to God, but not in such a way that we can pray the prayer in the right way with the right formula, in this case to St. Christopher, so that the thing can be found in a sense where I'm manipulating God because I've now prayed it in the right way and God has answered that prayer because I prayed it in the right way. That is where this temptation comes in. You make another interesting point here, so I'm going to interrupt because uh, now my buttons are pushed. Well, so, we need a whole episode well, on prayer because yeah. there's just so much on well, prayer yeah, that's going but, on here. I think I can make this briefly. So, so what you actually just set up would be that it was St. Christopher's advocating for us before God mm-hmm. and our cause, right? Yeah. And so he becomes our advocate Huh. Isn't there a scripture passage yeah. about who is our advocate? Well, yeah, Pastor Apple, you want to chime in there? Who, who's our advocate? Well, yeah. yeah, that's in First John chapter two, where Jesus is the the advocate for us, and and in First Timothy chapter two, you know, Saint Paul says that that Jesus is the mediator between God and men, and mm-hmm. so so to to you know put a human being that's not Christ in that place is to commit idolatry um, to, you know, I mean, that's where to be an that, antichrist. Maybe. To, yes, <laughs> that, that is part of it. Yes. I'll, yes. We're I, getting I would, there. Hold that, your horses. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, so, and, and so that you do see that. I, I think to, to go back to the, you know, you, you asked us to think about ways that, uh, that we today struggle with this temptation towards invocation of the saints. Um, to to go on with what with what Layman Slayton was was bringing up as well, you know, one of the ways I, I think you see it among Protestants this this idea of invocation to the saints. Uh, there's actually two ways that I thought of. One would be when we we ask another saint on earth who's living, you know, to pray for us because we think that their prayer will be heard 
more than ours will be, mm. right? So that person's a prayer warrior. God's going to listen to them. Oh yeah, that's right. right. a popular right. word. Yeah, that's how it comes. Right. Out. There was a, there was a right. movie about this actually not too long ago. Yeah, right? War yeah. Right. the War Room. Yeah, something which like is your right. prayer closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So so that and and sometimes you know there's that temptation where where a, a, a lay person will ask a pastor to pray in that way, and of course there's nothing wrong with a lay person to ask their pastor to pray for them, right? But not because his prayer is somehow more worthy than someone else's. It's a part of the the church supporting one another, um, carrying each other's burdens. And then, you know, right along with that, I think there's also the temptation to think that if we get enough saints to pray for us here on earth, right? So if I if I get my my loved one added to this prayer list and that prayer list, and then on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else I can get it, if I get enough saints to pray, they're living, right? But mm-hmm. if I get enough of them, then God's more likely to hear. Whatever that again, critical mass is. Exactly, yeah. right. And there's nothing, again, there's, it's not wrong to ask other people, you know, to pray for us. That is a part of the church being the church, bearing each other's burdens in Christ. But if we think that somehow, as, as you said very well, Layman Slayton, we're manipulating God by doing this, then it's it's not a prayer that's based on faith and the promises that Christ has made that he will hear and answer. It's a prayer that I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to to earn something from God. It's based on my works, and we're we're falling into the the way Luther leads off here, right? It conflicts with the chief article and destroys the knowledge of Christ. Yeah, and, and would we say here then that uh, the the focus then moves not even just to to other saints praying for us, but the focus moves actually to prayer itself. Prayer becomes an idol for us that we're putting our trust in the prayers being offered. We really need your prayers. It becomes a a magical mystical thing of sorts. I think. I don't know. Oh, oh, Almost a, almost a means of grace. Yeah. Uh, and we we sometimes start to treat prayer like a means of grace. And sometimes I see this when, uh, usually it's it's tongue-in-cheek humor, when somebody will say to me, uh, you know, it's we've had a lot of rain. Pastor, since God listens to you more than he listens to me, would you pray for dry weather? And, and then usually there's a good-natured chuckle. Uh, but sometimes I wonder... How much CFW of this? CFW Walther needs our prayers because he is getting wet right here in the <laughs> he's IC. Got that umbrella he's got an still. umbrella over he's him. He's had that for, umbrella for like a we week. We need some dry weather for poor CFW. Dear listener, here outside our studio is a is a statue of of the first Lutheran Life Church Missouri size. Synod president, uh, Pastor CFW Walther, uh, and due to uh, some some roof issues, uh, he's been getting wet, but now he has an umbrella. Uh, so send your check. To the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, save the Walther statue roof fund. I don't know if this is actually a money issue or if it's just a we can't figure out how to fix that roof so it yeah. doesn't leak. It's a issue. complicated Dear thing. Dear listener, yeah. please just bury, bear with us. Yeah, don't yeah. bury us, but bear with us. Uh, Back to the point. But I often wonder how much of this is a joke and how much of this is serious. That that there's a thought that. God hears a pastor's prayer more than he hears somebody else's prayer. Or if we use the right formula, uh, there was a time when uh, the prayer of the Old Testament figure Jabez, who is very, very little known in Scripture, and what we know about him is he had a prayer, uh, and he was faithful to God. Famous uh, book written, Prayer uh, of yeah, Jabez. Uh, fairly, fairly popular book, uh, oh, about 10 years ago, I yeah. think. About and 19. Ooh. 19 years 19 ago? 19 years ago. Time and I know fast. this because when I got married 18 years ago as an evangelical, that was the book that I gave to my ushers 
as their usher. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being my usher. Okay. And like Luther, you have repented. It was the prayer of Jabez. And I look back, I'm like, oh. And and all of these, like... I gave my groomsmen Bibles, so those were okay. <laughs> like, like both uh, Mr. Slayton and Pastor Apple have said, these are examples of our, our sinful flesh that knows no better trying to manipulate God. If I do things in just this way, then I'm going to get heard, I'm going to get acknowledged, and God will provide for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for this, we need to repent. Uh, I stand I stand or sit or whatever it is that I'm doing, I, I'm condemned in our, my own sin. In our Lutheran terminology, I mentioned it before, we'd call this a theology of glory, where we're, we're seeking that glory and that power. But if we're not speaking in Lutheran vocabulary, I will speak in the context in which I grew up as a missionary kid in Africa, and I will call this animism, because this is literally what the African religions were based on, this idea that the spirit world is angry at you, and you need to appease it in some way. And there are specific things you can do, and if done in the right way, said with the right words, in the right posture with the right attitude uh, the right accoutrements to go with it you can appease the spirits and they will do as depending on the the animism they'll either stop tormenting you or they will do as you please that that this is animism at its root and i understand how offensive that is for me to actually say that especially for those of us who tend to pray in this way i this this can be angering to hear, but I think we also need to check ourselves and say, okay, why am I praying? Am I praying because I, God has told me to, which is, the look, that's the most basic reason we pray is because God said to. Or am I praying because I think I can get my way if I do it in, in the right way? Well, and this this makes me think, too, you know, and, and also what you said with Pastor Hill, um, you know, that, that sometimes these things are said tongue-in-cheek and so forth. I think, you know, to put the best construction on it, my experience is is that it, it is with good intentions that people kind of slide into this mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is why we have to be so careful and we and we really need to be well grounded in our theology of prayer, which, you know, you said we could do this whole section on prayer. And, and that's really what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. invocation, I said, you know, we, we could also call that prayer, right? Um, and so, you know, we, we need to be well grounded in this because what, what happens, you know, um, as I said, you know, I used to be a trauma chaplain. Well, you don't wake up in the morning and expect a trauma to happen in your life or the life of a loved one. And so I would have, you know, people you know, come in that their life is thrown into chaos Mm. and, you know, a loved one, you know, dies tragically and suddenly and and your life is just, you're in desperation. You're just, it's such chaos and so forth. And you're casting about, and and this is where faithful ministry, and I, I would really try to focus myself to how am I going to point them to Christ in the midst of this tragedy in a very simple and clear way, because that's what they need. Right. Um, and, and I had a lot of Roman Catholics and other folks and even unbelievers coming in that are that are clearly casting about and they would even give some credence, the unbelievers to prayer and so forth. Um, but I, I don't want them to trust in prayer or the power of prayer or anything of that nature. Right. I want them to trust in Christ and the power of Christ. 
And we're going to certainly pray for that. But I think it's just a, a measure of desperation uh, that we slide into this. You know, we really need your prayers. You know, we, we, we post that on Facebook or on our social media and, and send out the call for all the prayer warriors and things like that. And I, I think it's with good intentions of they, they, they eventually know if you track with them, that it really is the power of Christ. Um, and, and, you know, I, I try to nurture that along in my pastoral ministry of uh, that they really do know this, but, you know, th- there's this temptation again, kind of how we came back from break of it, it's the temptation to, to just cast about looking for anything that can kind of bring some, some clarity and sanity to the, to the midst of a moment that's in chaos. It, it is not wrong to ask people to pray for you. It is not wrong to send your prayer request out on the prayer chain. It is not wrong to gather as many people around you as you can to join with you in praying your concerns. None of those things are what the actual problem is. We're speaking to the perhaps the motivation behind that or the theology that informs why we do those things. Yeah, because we want to get to Christ, which is mm-hmm. you know kind of the point that they make here is why, why is this an abuse that needs to get rid of because it leads us away from Christ and it leads us to put our trust into other things, other items, other people um, that can't really help us. And so like now can we talk about how this is the antichrist? Can we we please address this issue, this elephant in the room? I think since the next article is short, we're going to spill over into that episode too. Pastor Smith, I'm going to hope, I'm going to hope this helps today. Uh, we we refer to the office of the papacy as the antichrist because the office of the papacy has uh, inserted itself in between the christian and christ himself and so it's not that we have a hatred or a disrespect for the the pope or for the office of the papacy but we say anything that gets in between jesus and his church is is bad and to recognize that papal authority and the office of the papacy says hey it's okay for us to stand here in between and Jesus will give his gifts to the office of the papacy and the office of the papacy will give them to the church. That is nowhere given in scripture. And to say that you need to ask the saints to ask the office of the papacy, to ask the hierarchical system of the church, uh, to ask anyone or anything who is not Christ himself is antichrist and we we recognize that here in our book of concord with a capital a for antichrist because the roman catholic church has officially said the office of the papacy is in between jesus and the church i would like to hear pastor apple wax eloquent on this because i think he was already starting to talk about some of the way these terms that should be applied to jesus but get applied to the saints so we talked about mediator and advocate and if you could share a what I'd, lo- what I'd love to hear is, how do we identify when we've done this? And I think the terms that we use for what the saints or what the Pope is doing might, might be a helpful way to do that. But I'm willing to bet you've got some great things to say to help us see when we're actually doing this and how to That's correct it. That's a lot it. of pressure, man. Uh, you, um, you can do it. I know you can because yeah, you've already started. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think Pastor L gave us a very good explanation as to why the papacy, and, and it is rightly pointing out the office of the papacy, not necessarily the individual man who occupies it, but that the office of the papacy sets itself up um, between 
Christ and his people, and does so in particular within the church. It, it does so in a way that, that seems quite holy and, and pious, and yet because of that is all the more deceptive. And, and so we, we label that office the Antichrist, excuse me, Antichrist, to, to help us, you know, uh, mark it and, and avoid it, um, not out of hatred, but but out of a love that, that Christ might be made known and, and his people might put their trust in him. You know how do we how do we start seeing when we're doing these things? Oh, that that's a that's a good question. One that that we all would do well to examine ourselves to see um, that you know am I you know for example as we've been dis- talking when I pray am I praying because of as you said Layman Slayton the the command of God and also because of the promise of God. Not only has he told me to pray, but he's he's promised that he's going to answer, that he's going to give me these things. You know, that that's just a such a wonderful comfort in in prayer. And, and as we've said before, we're not minimizing prayer in any way here. Prayer is a, a precious gift because it has God's command and especially because it has it has his promise that he's going to give us the things that we need. And and those things are going to be good things. Um, you know, you think about again the the Lord's prayer that that God is our Father. And and as our Father, He's not going to give us what is what is evil. He's only going to give us what is good. As and as Luther brings out here, you know, think of all of the things that we have in Christ. Those things are a thousand times better than than anything we could come up with on our own. Um, you know, we we look at the things that that we do, and we think they're so wonderful, so precious, and yet when we compare them to the gifts that we have in Christ, they're they're nothing. Um, so much more have, has God given us in Christ, and and so to to set up anything in its place, and particularly this office of the papacy, is just a, a terrible tragedy that we would lose out on all the the good things that that God has given us in Christ. Told wow. you he could do it. Yeah, he oh. <laughs> nails it all the time. And, and he's subtly referencing the, the simple teaching of our catechism exactly. there. I love how he weaves it's it awesome. in. It's awesome. Just, just well done. Well done. Okay, I, I'm going to make a hard shift here um, to, to something else that I want to address in here. So I, I serve, as I said, uh, one of the congregations I serve is St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Congregation of Wine Hill. and uh, That name is too Catholic. Well, hang on here, because it <laughs> oh, says... Sorry, just put the right. cat, let the it, cat out of the bag. It says right here, nor should we fast, hold festivals, celebrate Mass, make offerings. That, that would speak to your context thing there, too, is mm-hmm. celebrate Mass. Make offerings and establish churches, altars, and divine worship in their honor. So are we, you know, at my ordination, I promised to teach and practice as a pastor accordance with scripture and these Lutheran confessions. Am I standing against the Lutheran confessions by serving a congregation named St. Paul's or St. Anything or St. Anything? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually got to do a little bit of, of Google magic uh, the last oh. few days on this. And oh, so you're a pagan now. Okay. Well, I'm uh, sorry. Referencing sorry. Magic. I was looking things up on the internet <laughs> to be more proper. And in the course of doing that, uh, there's a number of St. James and St. John's and St. Paul's uh, Lutheran Luther Church St. Matthew. St. Mary's. It, Luther served at St. Mary's. In fact, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, there is even a uh, St. Athanasius Lutheran Church Ooh. out on the East Coast. I definitely want that. Uh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, they were in my vicarage circuit. It was fabulous. But in all of this, we are not establishing these churches uh, for the saints. These are 
gatherings of Christ's church in this area, and we rightly recognize the work of the apostles, the evangelists, and those who are part of the great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews 12 says, who are with us in the church. Uh, If they are with Christ awaiting the resurrection of the dead, or if they are here or still to come, we are still Christ's church, and we are gathered together, St. Paul's Lutheran Church, St. John, St. James, etc., are all part of Christ's church. Now, if we just said, this is a church where our prayers will go through St. Paul to Jesus, we would have a whole different story. Is, is that what they mean? Is that what Luther means here when he talks about established in their honor that that church named after that saint, the prayers in some way would be addressed to that saint? Um, more so with, with the reference to altars in, uh, in Roman Catholic churches, especially of the day, they would have side altars that would be oh, dedicated yeah. to each uh, to a particular saint. They still have those. I've seen and, them. and so they still have yes. those as well. And so you would go to uh, the altar of of Saint Mary, or the altar of Saint Joseph, or the altar of uh, Saint Christopher, for whatever issue you need. For whatever yeah. issue you need, yeah. and and pray there. Uh, and so it's not just the establishment of churches, but that that does lead back, Pastor Smith, to the question of what is the proper use of festivals and congregations that have the names of of saints and apostles and evangelists. Well, last week here at the International Center, we celebrated the Feast of Saint Mark. That we actually had that service here, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and those services are always services of praise and thanksgiving to God, our Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for His work of creating and sustaining the faith of the saints. That indeed Saint Mark or Saint Thomas, Saint Paul, Saint John, take your pick, are those who have gone before us in the faith and are our fellow Christians. And so we give thanks and praise to God for the faith that he has granted to them and the faith that he has granted to us. We're not talking to God about, uh, we're not talking through those saints, but rather we're thanking God for them, our fellow holy ones. And and, and not even talking about specifically how great they are or or kind of, you know, lifting up their their good works and and so forth as as being anything truly special because a lot of the saints, we could also easily point to their their great sins. And Mm. I know you had said you wanted to talk about this uh, before our show, uh, Pastor Ill, but uh, I'm not going to let you. I'm going to throw it to Pastor Apple to talk about it instead. He'll do a a fabulous job. But this this then maybe connects into another issue, a contemporary issue that we could have when it comes to funerals and, you know, eulogizing those who have passed on within the church, and that's a practice in a lot of denominations, and, and a lot of times even a pressure here in the Lutheran church um, to, to have that sort of thing as well, and, and, and to kind of just talk about how great a person is at their death. Pastor Abel, you want to make that connection in for us here in just a couple minutes? Sure, the, the, and I'll start by going back to the, the catechism. So in, in the fourth commandment, God teaches us to honor our father and our mother, right? And, and from that, we understand to honor all authority. Um, and, and so But it's quite possible to do that, right, to honor our parents um, and other Christians without breaking the first commandment that teaches us to worship God alone. And, and I think maybe if we, we can apply that to these various situations, that, that might be of, of help. So, so in the funeral, it's, it's quite possible to, to honor the one who has died in Christ, but not for their works, 
not for how wonderful a person they were, but to to honor um, to to show them the the proper honor and to give the thanks to God alone, who's the one who has saved them. And in particular, at a funeral, when we think about a, a loved one who has died in Christ, where will the comfort come from? It won't come from that person because that person was a was a sinner just like you and me. And just like you and me, the only way that any sinner is saved is through Christ alone. Oh, wow. Where does that comfort come from? When we realize all that comes to us through Christ, his gospel, the forgiveness of sins, life, salvation, all because of what he's done for us on the cross. We don't need to rely on our works, the works of others, practices, objects, special worship services, the saints are invoking them to to be our advocate or mediator. We don't need it. We have assurance of salvation and God's blessings because of what he gives to us in his gospel. Praise be to him for that. Continue to gather together as the church around that word and sacrament that you may have that assurance. And thanks for listening today. Until next time, keep confessing, church.